0: It's December 12, 2018, and welcome to another edition of Bike Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. First, we'll hear from Hashim M. Teuzi. And, of course, uh, he's from Code for America. We're happy to have him. And he'll talk about the CFA Fellow Program, as well as the uh, Sumo Lab, and we'll describe what the Sumo Lab is all about Then we'll hear from uh, Shauna Tonkins. Uh, She's a Ph.D. Director of Education over at the Pearl Harbor Aviation Museum. And Kara Chadrin. and she's a math teacher over at SEEKS. And we'll talk about the Math Alive exhibit. First, I want to welcome Hashim to the show. He's a senior manager, Network Talent Initiative at Code for America, who's here to tell us about the uh, CFA Fellow Program. And, of course, uh, he's also here for the Sustainability Mobility Lab. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being here.
0: You know, uh, I we had a a brief chance to talk a little bit about the the history of, of uh, Code for America here in in Hawaii and uh and you know, I've been involved with uh Code for America and and from the brigade standpoint and and uh, the Code for Hawaii brigade, but uh, and then when we were involved back uh, in I guess the uh, 2012, you know, the the fellows that were participating here came from Code for America and actually spent some time in Hawaii, about a year. I mean, and, and actually they spent most of their time in the Bay Area. They, but they came over, did some assessment, left, and then uh, one of the key projects that they implemented was something called uh, Honolulu Answers. Now, the the fellowship program has changed, and maybe you can uh, quickly describe what has uh, what has transpired over these years. Well, quite a bit has changed, yeah.
1: actually. Uh, I'll try to do it quickly. You know, the main thing is that we used to have what people would call parachuting Mm-hmm. Fellows, right? right so right. we'd have our host cities, we'd also source some really skilled technologists out of the Bay Area predominantly. They'd be housed in our our offices in San Francisco. They would travel back and forth between San Francisco and their host city periodically, but like you said, the vast majority of the time would be in San Francisco doing mm-hmm. the work. Mm-hmm. The issue that we faced with that, despite all of the great work that the fellows did and all the appreciation that, you know, we experienced, is that when the fellowship ended and the fellows returned home, mm-hmm. the work was often left, you know, unattended. Mm-hmm. And that was despite the best efforts or best intentions of the local government. They just didn't have the capacity in most cases or the ability to carry the work forward.
0: Well, in some cases, it was a, a matter of capacity. In some cases, also, uh, there were um, there was administration changes. And when there's an administration change, there's also a transition from, you know, one philosophy to another philosophy. And that's sort of what happened back in 2012 and 2012. Uh, uh, into 2013. but So in the new fellowship program, how is it uh, impl- implemented? So we really
1: took a look at, you know, how we can create the most sustainable model possible, right? And we, since 2012, we have now our, our volunteer brigade network. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in 77 different locations in the U.S., we have volunteer chapter of folks who really want to make a difference using civic technology. And we have one here mm-hmm. in Co for Hawaii. And what we want to do is source the talent from within our brigade network and then pair them with their local government to strengthen that bond or that connection and really amplify an existing project that somebody is already tinkering with or trying to push forward. That way, when the fellowship ends, we have a lot of progress made. We have a nice, strong relationship that's been forged between the brigade and the government. And then the people are still in
0: place to continue the work. Now, that's a great uh, uh, sort of transition to the next question, which is, What project came out of Honolulu that, uh, I guess, drew the interest of Code for America and the the, the kind of the recent fellowship arrangement?
1: Well, the fellowship program is pretty unique because what it allows Code for America to do is to experiment in different areas that are outside of our core focus Mm -hmm. areas. And in Honolulu, the team presented a project uh, regarding the high-speed rail project Mm -hmm. uh, from the Honolulu Authority of Rapid Transit. And the idea is to... Create a user centered approach for capturing community feedback and Hawaiian values to make sure that the work is done in unison or in concert with the folks in the community as opposed to, you know, kind of a top down approach. And it just is a lot
0: different than anything else we've done. And the, uh, the, the government, uh, um, I guess, uh, representative for this project is a fellow that we all know by the name of Ben Trevino and and his role really is sort of the the representative from inside government who is actually working on heart and and perhaps uh, he was very instrumental i guess in in proposing this uh this uh project right
1: yes uh, ben trevino and stephanie chang are mm-hmm. fellows and they've done tremendous work and ben has kind of a duality in terms of wearing a heart hat as well as wearing a code for america fellow hat right. and so for him the challenge is making sure that you know he is satisfying the users in the community but also the stakeholders within the organization
0: within the work. And he uh and of course we lo- you know it's, it's great that we're talking about him and he's not here but uh he basically also had to get the buy-in from his management at heart that this project would benefit heart and then he could you know perhaps work on it uh from the from the inside as well as gathering the inputs from the community.
1: Yes, absolutely and that's you know, always kind of a risky proposition, Mm -hmm. especially, you know, if anyone's been following the story of the high-speed rail here, you know there's been some controversy and it hasn't been necessarily smooth sailing. Mm -hmm. So anytime you're looking at getting additional feedback or examining the way that you're operating, you know there's some
0: trepidation there. Mm -hmm. And uh, so as far as... uh um, what you are doing here in Hawaii? Maybe, maybe give a quick descrip- description of the the events taking place right now.
1: Oh, thank you. Yes, yeah, so this is we're coming to the close of the community fellowship cohort. Mm-hmm. It started in June and it ends this month. So we have some closing activities that the team here, Ben and Stephanie, are putting on tonight. We have our Code for Hawaii Brigade meetup, mm-hmm. which happens on a weekly basis. That's at uh, five thirty at Impact Hub. If anybody wants to join us. Tomorrow, the team is presenting to the Heart Board of Directors, and then they're putting on a unique activity, a feedback session called the Sumo Lab Planning Session, mm-hmm. where they're inviting folks from other agencies, from the community, anyone who's interested in the work they're doing to come in, experience the findings and the research that they've conducted, and then chime
0: in, right? Get connected. Right. So that's, a, that's a, um, open to the public event, and that's taking place both Thursday and Friday, Yes, yep,
1: right. yes. Thank you, Bert. So tomorrow at 3 p.m. at the Hart offices mm-hmm. and then Friday at ViVi Vi Collective, 830 a.m. for the early birds.
0: Very good. So is there any place that we could go to, you know, like uh, on the web that uh, might be able to share more information? Or I, I have some links, so I could put that up on our show notes later on tonight.
1: Yeah, that would be great if you put them up, but I'll also share with your listeners because we'd love for everybody to get involved. Please go to CodeForAmerica.org. Okay.
0: Uh, you can find out more information and join the movement. And if you ever are back here again, I would love to have you on and talk about some of the other uh, brigades and what they're doing and, you know, just kind of catch up with uh, all the things that all the cool things that Code for America is doing. Thanks, Hashim, for uh, joining us. Thank you so much. I'm going to take you up on that offer. OK, very good. And we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Shauna Tonkins and Kara Chadron, And she will talk about the Math Alive exhibit over at the Pearl Harbor Aviation Museum. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Café comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Wealth Jar and Locations.
2: In the morning I have my juice, my toast, and the BBC. In the evenings, especially Saturdays and Sundays, I I like Seth Marcos' show. um, I love American Roots. If I'm in the mood for classical music, again, I can just push the other button and listen to it. If I'm driving, it seems like whatever's on is good. Member
3: supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see.
0: Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. Now joining us here in the studio, Shauna Tonkins, and she's the Director of Education over at the Pearl Harbor Aviation Museum and Kara Shadrin, and she's the math teacher over at SEEKS. I just want to make sure that I say that SEEKS stands for School of Examining Essential Questions of Sustainability. I love it. I want to welcome you, welcome you both to uh, Bite Marks Thank Cafe. You. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And of course, um, you know the uh the math alive exhibit is is going on and we will talk about that, but first off I wanted to maybe get into a little bit of we ne- you know we rarely get to talk about math per se, you know, <laughs> on Bite Marks Cafe, but it is part of the it is part of STEM. It's the M in STEM and is there a um, and maybe this is um for you Kata, you know, in terms of math, I mean, is there some indicators that, that show that perhaps Hawaii isn't up to standard? I mean, what's the, what's the general, I guess, um, performance measurement?
2: Well, when we discuss it at our school, the state-mandated tests, uh, I think are, the average is ar- around the 40 perc- 40-ish percent, percentile. And what, are, what is
0: 40, 40%? Is, is the amount, uh, I guess, the, the percentage of students that are proficient in math at that level?
2: Yes, I think that's the way that they define it. However, I want to be clear that that's proficient according to a state test created by who knows who. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's the students' the percentage of students proficient on one test in one specific area. And so.
0: the, and this test is uh, given to specific grades, grade levels, right? I mean, so there there, there may be a, a fourth grade test and a sixth grade test and, and an eighth grader and a, you know a, a maybe a eleventh grader. So yes, they're all different correct. tests, and and but there's a there's a I guess um, an average that's being conducted over those uh, different age groups, and then and then the sort of overall percentage is is an average around, uh over all those uh, grade levels.
2: I don't know enough about how they score it to speak about exactly mm-hmm. how that how they decide the proficiency and how they score it, but. Um. That's my understanding. Is that yes, the test is different across different grade levels.
0: So, if there's a recognized, uh, let's say, um, lack of proficiency, I mean, what do you know about, let's say, in your school? I mean, are there efforts to try to get kids a little bit more interested in math?
2: For sure. In our school, we're most interested in creating our in creating um, citizens, stewards of planet Earth, and healthy, effective citizens of the world. Mm-hmm. And we need to do that. One one small part of that, but an important part is having them comfortable and proficient in math thinking. So thinking like mathematicians. And so we're not as focused on getting test scores up, but we believe in, we are focused in getting our own assessments um to reflect that students are understanding how to think mathematically and how they can use math to be effective citizens of mm-hmm. the world.
0: Now, tell us a little bit about um, um, SEEKS. I mean, is that, this, is that a charter school, or what, what sort of school is it?
2: Yeah, SEEKS, the School for Examining Essential Questions of Sustainability, is a public charter school. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we are have about 180 students. We are 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. And we um, are located right now, we share campuses with Kaimuki High School. So okay. Kind of
0: and you've been, um, Seeks has been around for how long?
2: This is our sixth year, if I'm correct. Oh, okay. And yeah, this is my fourth year of teaching there at Seeks. All right,
0: great. Now, Shauna, you know you're from the uh, uh, Pearl Harbor Aviation. I, I'm, I'm so used to calling it the Pacific Aviation. I have to think about it a so little. Am while. So <laughs> am I. So am I. And and um, you know, I think it's uh, I've I, I love going out to the aviation museum. I mean, there's always something interesting to to experience. Thank you. And when I heard about this uh, math alive exhibit, um, I thought that's that's pretty cool. But, you know, let me tell you, let me me ask you this. Uh, Is it a is it a sort of a diversion from the the typical sort of aviation kinds of exhibits that you you normally would uh, put out there?
3: Well, I think you're voicing a question that a lot of people would like answered. Uh, They think of us as an aviation museum, um, and we are definitely honoring the Pearl Harbor story, Mm -hmm. December 7th story, and the aviation aspects. But much broader is our mission to educate young people, and we have a very distinct focus on STEM. Uh, blending history and STEM because we think the two go hand in hand and are also um just benefited by studying history, the foundations and also then uh, hands on stem kinds of things so when we were approached by Raytheon several years ago to be the only place in Hawaii that would host this we quickly overcame any um, trepidation about that connection to math because you know that math really has application in everything we do mm-hmm. and when you talk about the physics of flight it's based upon mathematical principles mm-hmm. and so um, while math alive doesn't focus just on aviation if focuses on an array of math principles and concepts in everyday life. If I could just play off of something that Kara said, mm-hmm. um Not only do we have some challenges in Hawaii with math proficiency, but across the U.S. And in fact, a study that had recently been done asked students what they would rather do, study math or take out the trash. And their answer was they'd rather take out the trash. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that there'd probably be a lot of adults who would feel the same way. And so Math Alive helps us uh, confront that with hands-on, act. Activities that are really exciting and engaging.
0: Give me a a little bit of background on on why did Raytheon decide to invest so much into this Math Alive exhibit? I got a chance to visit it, and it's a really pretty sophisticated uh, exhibit.
3: Thanks. Well, about 20 years ago, um, Raytheon was seeing that we had some real problems across the country with math proficiency, and I think people are aware that that's been talked about for many years, um, that Asian nations especially are so far advanced in the mathematical instruction and outcomes. And so they wanted to do something, and they wanted to do it in a way that would engage students and get them excited about opportunities in math, also connecting everyday activities with math. So even if someone chooses not to go into a STEM field, um, they would have better understanding of math because it does contribute to overall well-being and your education. And so they spent a number of years just researching how to address this problem, and they came up with this interactive exhibit of over 30 close to 40 activities that kids can do they field tested it and then they opened it at the smithsonian institute and Mm -hmm. since then it's traveled around the u.s mainland u.s actually we're the first outside of the mainland u.s Um, but they've also taken it over overseas dubai um, down to uh, i believe australia and different places like that and so when we were asked to be the venue to host it we jumped at that
0: is the is the Math alive exhibit that currently exists over at the uh, uh Aviation Museum, is that just one
3: of a kind or are there replications of this, you know, across the country? This is the only place that it is being shown in the U.S. right now, but there are several places internationally. And I, I'm not quite sure exactly where they're located right now. I know that they've been in the Middle East. Um but The one really exciting feature for Math Alive for us is that they introduced two new exhibits since um, they brought it here last Mm -hmm. month. One is on extreme weather, and the other is on cybersecurity. And so Hashim might have been interested in that aspect of it. But um, everything is current. Everything is really um, engaging and exciting and and adults love it too. Yeah, I, I do want to
0: get into some of the specifics about the uh, the exhibit, but I want to ask Kara. Uh, you know, in, in terms of trying to get students interested in math, I mean, what are some of the things that you've uh, p- perhaps thought out of the box instead of, you know, depending on the textbook, how would you get students more interested in actually engaging in math?
2: Uh, the short answer would be connecting it to the real world and their lives. So but seeks all of our three three math classes the students are examining from the beginning of the year an essential question that is, how can I make sense of and impact the world using math so everything we do comes back to this question, which fully relates to the math alive exhibit. it sounds mm-hmm. like, and so we try to make all of our activities and word problems and and problems that students are trying to face very real world for example i 'm actually giving a test on friday we 've been talking about ratios and rate tables and the problems that I give them are, you know, how how much does internet cost for five months? And using that knowledge, how can you figure out how much it costs for one month? Or um, if water flows out of a sink at this many, at this rate per second, you know, how much water would you waste if you stood there brushing your teeth for three minutes? Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. just simple real world calculations and um, situations that require the students to think: What am? Where is my place in the world? And how? Just like Shauna said, how am I using math every day? In the simple accessible ways that they are interacting with it and also we are a school for examining essential questions of sustainability so um, we have students we have students digging deep into how they can communicate what they've learned powerfully through math so for example in our essential question of sustainability project-based block which is the last two hours of every day uh, the students are creating projects. They're, they're learning about all sorts of things. But for example, if one group of students is learning about plastic pollution, and if they learn how many plastic water bottles we waste every year in Hawaii, for example, instead of just telling their audience, oh, you know, it's this many thousands of water bottles, we ask them to think about, well, what's a reference point that you could use to teach your audience that in a way that they'll remember? So let's calculate how many times would these water bottles um if you line them up end to end, would they get from, mm-hmm. you know, the North Shore to Kahala Mall? Because and then we have them draw that as an infographic. And so really getting them to see how you can make it exciting to share what you what you learn in a way that your public can your your audience can understand why it's important to even know about this topic and and giving them the tools and the excitement to kind of, you know, you draw it, you figure out what's one way. Do you want to say how many bathtubs full of water that wastes? You know, they can get Excited about it um, by seeing what's 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 around them in everyday life.
0: No, that's that's really good because I you know I, I I remember oftentimes I've I've tried to uh, uh, maybe graphically describe something that would. Uh, uh, let's see. You know the, the amount of paper that's being used by a company, and and how you know if you stack the papers on onto each other, how far that would go, and you know would it reach the moon or something? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> so exactly that. Now I do want to ask you about uh, something else that's happening in schools, which is the computer science and education, and how you know math might sort of uh, um, relate to some of the efforts to do computer science, but. What we want to do right now is hold that thought, because that's just a teaser. Uh, We'll be right back after this short uh, break to continue our conversation with both Shauna Tonkins and Kara Shadran. And uh, this is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Ekahi Ornish Lifestyle Medicine, Ulopono Initiative, and Impact Hub Honolulu co-working. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum, and if you are just joining us, we're talking to Shauna Tonkins and Kara Shadrin, and uh, we're talking about math proficiency and the Math Alive exhibit over at the uh, Pearl Harbor Aviation Museum. All right, before the break, you know, we we're talking about uh how to get uh, students interested in math and, and I think the examples that uh Kata that you just brought up I think all, always sort of engage people's thinking about how to describe something uh, using math. I, I was I'm I'm curious if you're getting uh involved in any way with some of the efforts to you know bring sort of computer science into education and of course computer science and math are very closely related when you talk about math uh thinking and learning i mean the logic behind math is is directly um applicable to to computer science i mean do you see any efforts to kind of bridge those two math and computer science
2: i definitely do in a general sense at seeks we um, aren't, we don't have any specific computer science courses, but we, all, we always encourage the students. We have a one-to-one Chromebook program, so they all do have access to a Chromebook, and they're teaching me things every day. And so we do have opportunities for them to explore topics that they want to explore. Um, for example, I in my math class, we do a math story of the week, and so we have started the year where every week we kind of talk about different ways that math can connect, can help the world around us um, and connect to the world around us. And next semester, we're going to have the kids explain their math story of the week. So some of them actually are really into coding and computer science. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Um, and that could be their opportunity to teach the class what they know. And I think another similarity between computer science and our math curriculum is just the, uh, the idea that mistakes need to happen in order to have growth and learning. So we're really big on growth mindset and teaching our students, you know, the only way to solve a problem is to is to look into it and try things and make mistakes and learn from those mistakes and move forward, which I don't know much about computer science, but the people around me who've done it, I mean, I the logic and the problem solving that's required, it's the the thinking is so similar with a problem solving mindset of I got to dig into this, what do I already know? What do what can I figure out from what I have and what do my mistakes tell me, and how can I grow from those? Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a direct correlation between you know math thinking, computational thinking, and computer science. Shana, you know, I I, I yeah, I've been saving this for you know now, and I want to talk a little bit about some of those exhibits. One of the you know, um, of course, one of the first ones I got to try was the one where you're actually skiing down a, a slope, and you actually get to stand on a uh, you know, it's like a—it's not like the, the the two skis that I'm used to, but it's like a you know one sort of uh, uh, ski, and you actually can feel sort of the the movement of the, the the ski and the hill, and and actually try to maneuver down the. I mean, what are some of the
3: favorite uh, exhibits that you've uh, a- encountered in Math Alive? Well, you've hit on the most popular one: border cross, mm-hmm. and you know what. This does is kind of proves uh, Caro's point that there's context to math learning. So kids can get on these um, ski boards and they can try their hand at going down and and maneuvering those turns and really learning a little bit more about how angles and how the understanding of your body in space um, is impacted by these mathematical principles. We also have something called 360, where we have a number of cameras, uh, and students can take a or strike a pose, and these cameras are all taking that pose at the same time. So then they have this 360 view of themselves. Mm-hmm. We can build... Um, skyscrapers virtually and so kids can understand all of the principles of um, construction and how that's mathematically oriented. Uh, There is even a piece of original artwork that uses numbers to cast shadows of a profile. Uh, There's the Extreme weather, learning how to uh, broadcast a, a weather report, and how math is involved with that. There are so many. Oh, also the Mars rover, um, operating a Mars rover using a remote um, uh, controller and looking at the grid, and so just so many ways of bringing those math concepts to life. You no, know, you know, I do
0: want to um, chat real quickly about the, uh, the the cyber security exhibit. Now. In general, what I found was that you had to actually sit and spend some time to absorb the exhibit and and really understand what the exhibit is is exhibiting. And you know the, the, the challenge is that whenever you're there with a bunch of kids, and there's probably a lot of people in there, you tend to want to just see everything really quickly and then kind of move on. I mean, I, I think the, the what, what's your comment about, I mean, how, how much time would you really need to spend on the exhibit to really
3: learn from it? Well, when we bring field trip groups in, we give them at least 45 minutes in the exhibit because what we found is they do exactly what you've said. And they run around mm-hmm. and try to experience everything as soon as possible. And then after about 20 minutes in the exhibit, they choose one or two that are of, you know, that they're – the that appeal to them but we also tell people come back again it's going to be here until August and so once you've come with your school group bring your family back you know have a contest with your parents about the the border cross Um, there's always something new to explore so it's not just a one and done it's one and come back again okay great so uh, Kara, are you taking your class over there no plans yet, but
2: I'm sold. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> just getting—it's so exciting to see that this opportunity is here to get students excited because that yeah. entry point of math isn't scary. It's it's doable and it's exciting. It can create really really cool things in the world. I'm super excited to be able to take the students. Yeah,
0: there. and, and there's great uh, some great docents over there that you know actually help people understand what's going on. Where can people go and find out more about this?
3: www.pearlharboraviationmuseum.org. dot org.
0: Very good, and I'll put that up on our show notes for later on tonight. Shana Tonkins, Director of Education over at the Pearl Harbor Aviation Museum, and Kata Shadrin, she's a math teacher over at Seeks. I want to thank you both for joining us today.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: And I want to thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we will do our annual gadget show. If you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on BiteMarksCafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at BiteMarks at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at BiteMarks. And, of course, our engineer is David Chong. You can catch us on HPR1 every Wednesday and, of course, anytime on the HPR app. You stay awesome, and we will see you next week on another edition of bite Marks Cafe.
2: This you will recall in after years You may realize